We're on the subject of the love of God, and no wonder it's going to take me this week, and I'll go back next week, and you'll wonder, why didn't he cover it? It's so vast. It's so great. It's so wonderful. And let me, just by way of review, tell you where we've been. We took 1 John chapter 4, where twice it says, God is love. And we start unpackaging that. What does that mean? God is love. And we took a definition of love that says it's that perfection in God where he has a desire for and a delight in the welfare of the objects of his love. Whoever he loves, whoever he loves, God delights in and desires their welfare. Now, here's a catch. He will even go to the point of self-sacrifice to bring that delight and to bring that benefit to them. So it's a costly love. And we looked at uh, five characteristics of this love, five characteristics, and I'm just reviewing for you. We went over this last week. Here's the five things. The source of the love of God is himself. He didn't get it from anybody. Uh, nobody was able to draw it. It's inherent in his nature. It's in the nature of God to love. God is love. And, and I'm convicted by such a statement. If someone said about you, let's say, John Smith is, what would they fill in? Well, when it comes to God, God is love. Now, it doesn't say love is God. Love is not no. God, part of his nature is to love. He's the source of it. Two, it's unconditional. Uh, the object of his love never warranted nor merited his love. You don't deserve to be loved by such a God because we've been in rebellion against him. We're born sinners. And so we've not drawn that love out by any merit in us. Three, God always takes the initiative in this love. In many relationships, uh, let's say Trump and Putin, who's going to initiate peace? Who's going to initiate reconciliation? And anytime there's a conflict between people, who will initiate and build the bridge toward each other? Pride keeps you this way. I'm not moving until they move. God says, I'll make the move. I'm not the offender, but I'll be the initiator of the reconciliation. Amazing, amazing love. Fourthly, God's love is manifested in action. He doesn't just talk, he acts. And he's done that. And fifthly, God's love is sacrificial. So much that he gave his best and his one of its kind of son, God the Son. And he gave him in a sacrificial act. Now, we looked at several ways this love is manifested. The love among the Trinity. They've been loving each other from eternity past. And you read this, you start with John's Gospel, chapter 14, and right, right through 17, about three to four times, keeps talking about God the Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father. This has been going on from eternity. So they're a loving community. 
a loving community. Two, God's love of creation. And that was Psalms 145, that he gives uh, animals, he gives everything their food, he feeds the lion, he maintains creation. Colossians 1.15, he holds everything together. So he shows this, um, what we call, we sometimes it's said providential, this loving care of what he's created. And, and he oversees it. And even the sparrow, he said, he feeds them. He clothes the lily of the valley. And he gives it all of its magnificent beauty and animals. He maintains it's a manifestation of his love and care. Then we came and we finished last week. He loved the world. And the world doesn't stand for geography. They had a Greek word for geography, gay, G-E, a long E in Greek. The earth, terra firma. He loved uh, that, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the people, the people in hostility to him. God so loved his enemies. God so loved humanity that rebelled against him that he gave his one and only son to die for them. So he's gone on record at loving humanity and doing more for us than anyone in all this world could ever dream. Now, I want to move today to the distinguishing love of God, and I want us to look at uh, really four things. His love for Israel, uh, his love for the church, his love for individuals, and how that, it really I'm talking about those who come within the covenant love, within the family love of God. There's one thing to say, God so loved the world, and then saying, God loves me as his own child. Totally different. Once I'm a family member, I come into aspects of God's love that's something like this. Everything from now on in your life is going to work for your good because you become my child. You never had that promise nor rationale before you became a child of God. God's working everything in my life for good. Look up the messes you made before you became a child of God. And there was no order, reason, or rhyme to it. But we're going to look at that. Let's look at uh, Deuteronomy to see God's love for Israel. Isn't it strange that out of all the countries in the Near East, Israel still exists? I mean, you can laugh at that. But you've never been outnumbered uh, by your enemies, maybe 40,000 to 1. In 1948, when they declared themselves a state, a state of Israel, there was a, the whole Arab world declared war, and their threat was, we will drive you into the Mediterranean Sea. Well, I want to tell you, I've been there. They're not in the Mediterranean. Why? God's love for them. Look at verse 6 of Deuteronomy 7, 6. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. 
The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In other places, he said, I've not loved you because you were easy to get along with, for you were stiff-necked people. But God said, I chose Abraham, I chose Isaac, I chose Jacob. And hear this verse, you don't like it, but God said it anyway. God never has sought to be politically correct. Jacob have I loved. Esau I have hated. And we say you can't hate anyone. Well, you tell God that when you see him. He said, what does it mean? He loves Jacob, and he hated Esau. And some say that's national, hated the Edomites, hated the man. Whatever way you understand that, God has said, I've chosen Israel out of all the nations to be the recipients of my covenant love, recipients of my law, to be the human vehicle through which I'll bring Messiah to the world, the, the human vehicle that I'll bring redemption. God chose little despised Israel, and he built it on a man that was a moon worshiper in Ur of Chaldee before God called him to himself. Who in the world evangelized Abraham? God. We call it sovereign choosing. Sovereign choosing. God can choose whomever he will, however he will. Do you believe that? Look at, he chose the church in Ephesians. Let's just look at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her and cleanse her by the word. Those who are in God's church, those who have put faith in Christ, are in an entity, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the flock of God, in which you've come within the special favor and kindness of God. Now, let's look in Ephesians for the special love of God that he actually brings it down to individuals. You may apply it to the church. Look at Ephesians 1. Chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us 
in Christ with some spiritual blessings. Uh, who has blessed the super saint with every spiritual blessing. Or blessed us in Christ. Who all is that? If you're in Christ, you've come under the special blessing of God in which he emptied this container of blessings on you in Christ. Some people are saying, well, have you talked in tongues? No, but I've been blessed with all spiritual blessings. Uh, can you prophesy? No, I don't have that gift. Are you an apostle? No. Why don't we emphasize what are the universal blessings to all saints without always building a doctrine or a dis difference between us? We've all been blessed. All blessings have been given to every child of God. That's what he says. Some have this gift. Some have that gift. That's fine. That's differentiating in the body. But here's every spiritual blessing is yours in Christ. Now he goes on. Look at some of these blessings. Even as he chose us in him the night you got saved. Anybody reading the Bible? Anybody know how to disagree with the preacher? If I misread it, you're supposed to be awake and say, no, call me down. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him, in love he predestined us for adoption. And the word there for chosen in the Greek, it's a middle voice and here, let's say English, active or passive. I, I grab the mic. Uh, the mic grabbed me. Now, if I said the mic grabbed me, I'm passive. I'm receiving the action of the verb. But a middle voice that only the Greek and Latins had is that I for myself grab the mic. It, it shows active participation in the action of the verb. And what it says here, he for himself chose you. He for himself chose you. If you are a child of God, a member of God's family, it's no accidental birth. It's no accidental birth. I was a total accidental birth. My mother said every time my dad looked at her, she got pregnant. And for years, we believed that. She's working in the shipyards. She, they're going to get rich. They fled Oklahoma, depression, dust bowl. She's going to get rich out there. And the last thing she needs is a seventh child. She, I, so I come in the world. You're unwanted, but we're stuck with you. Boom, not planned but loved anyway. All of you have been planned. All of you have been planned. Why you? Look, look at 1 Corinthians. You wonder why you? I, I have a hint of it in 1 Corinthians 7, or rather, chapter 1. Look at what he says in verse 20, 
6. Someone asked me one time, why are you in the ministry? I said, 1 Corinthians 1.26. Here's the reason I got the ministry. And this is the reason I'm in the family. Watch this. For consider your calling, brothers. Calling unto salvation. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That's me. When I was saved, I didn't have a Ph.D. What about you? Not many were powerful. Well, if you think people in South Richmond are powerful, I was powerful at 14. Not many were of noble birth, no blue bloods in my family background, just poor, hardworking people. No blue bloods, no money, no Rockefellers, no Kennedys, no inheritance. My brother talks about a lot of people are waiters. They're just waiting for their folks to die so they can get the inheritance. Well, Howard's were not waiters. There was nothing to inherit. No blue bloods. But God chose, but God chose for himself what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God had a motive. I'm going to pick who you consider the morons to confound the brilliant minds of the day. The word foolish is moronic. God chose what is weak, no strength in the world, to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not, it's literally the zeros. They're not even, they don't even amount to, they're a zero. He chose them to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. Listen, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. God did your salvation so you can never get the credit. And I don't know why he wanted you more than your brother or your sister or your neighbor. I don't know why he wanted me more than this one or that one. I'll leave all that up to an omnipotent, all-powerful God, and you can just go crazy trying to figure out election, free will. If you can harmonize it, help yourself. I believe both. I believe both. They call it antinomy. Two seemingly opposing truths that run like railroad tracks, and somewhere down here they seem to merge together. Whatever the word says, I believe. Can I harmonize it? Calvin tried to. Eh, he's okay. Read him. He wrote it at 26 years of age. You harmonize it. But don't turn around saying God can't do that. Who is the clay to tell God what he can do? The potter can do with the clay whatever he wants. Why did he want you? Why did he want you? Well, we'll spend eternity maybe scratching our head over that. But has he become your father? 
Have you put faith in? Don't worry about if he's chosen you. Worry about have you put your faith in him. That's the sure way you can know. I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. And I never knew two years later that he ever chose me. I'm just glad I got to believe. And so now that you're in the family, in the special love of God, God loves you in a way he doesn't love the world. Because you, you, um, you've come into the focal point of this love of God, the love for his own that is different and far deeper and far more benefits than when you were just out in the world. You've always been loved by God but you've not always been in the special care of a family member. You know, biblically, I'm told to love believers, right? Would that include women? You guys are so weak, it's anemic. Does that include women? Are the women sisters in Christ? So I could say, I love you, sister, as a Christian with no physical erotic theme at all. I love you because you're begotten of the Father. That's legitimate, right? It's not too good you say it, you're in the corner. No, we love you sister in the Lord. But now, I come around and say, I love you, Carolyn. Are there any distinguishing features? I've only had three children by one person. I've only slept with one woman in my life that I've been with 52 years. I love her deeper I want to love everybody, but I love my three daughters in a different way than I love everybody. And that's this distinguishing love of God. That God says, I love you, and I've got things for a family member, and that if you're outside of Christ, you need in this family, and if you would only receive Christ, you can receive all these abundant things God does for his children that you can only get. Let's, let's just look at a few of them. Number one, Romans 5. Oh, I love this. Look there. I hear no papers, so I assume technology. So let's get to Romans 5. Look at what he says. He's talking about the wonderful benefits of justification. And we come to Romans 5, 5. Look at the benefits he gives to his own children. Number one, he says at Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let me just explain several. The word poured into our heart, it means gushed out, poured out. It was used of the Spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost. It's just an effusion of the Spirit, just gushed out, gushed abroad. It just think of a geyser, I guess, just going off. And God 
said, my love for you, I'm going to install it in your heart, and it will be like a geyser going out, maybe like that river that Jesus said he would put in us, which spoke of the Holy Spirit. But one of the benefits is, on your worst day, you can know you're being loved by God. I love the meaning of the word beloved. It sounds old King James, doesn't it? But it's a present tense. I am being loved. I am a being loved person. God has taken his spirit and gushed abroad in your heart that he loves you. Now, there's two ways you can take this. I used to take it this way, a subjective way. Oh, my love for God. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about God's love for you has been gushed abroad. We'll look at our next sermon on the conditional aspect of being in. You were told to walk in the love of God. You must be able to not walk in it. And we'll look at that. But here he says God's love has been gushed abroad in your heart. This is a great benefit of the Spirit. And hasn't that been a wonderful thing in your life? Whatever your trials were, whatever your guilt was about yourself, your sin, your folly, your, your human weakness, to say on my worst day, God loves me. And as a family member, According to Hebrews 12, he loves me so much, he won't leave me the way he found me. As a father disciplines his son, he is disciplining me and training me. And sometimes I don't like the curriculum and I don't like the treatment, uh, but God doesn't like my disposition nor my attitude. And so he works on us. Because you're God's child, uh, he's given the promise in Romans 8 that nothing shall ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ. Listen to it. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, what about tomorrow? Nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, 1 says no condemnation. Here says no separation. And in between is no defeat. I will not be condemned. I will never be separated from this love. Child of God, be assured, despite your failings, despite your sinning, if you are truly a child of God, he's made you a promise. Nothing shall ever sever this relationship. Nothing. Now I ask you, who guarantees this relationship? Now, does that mean you go out and you live like the devil? If you live like the devil, it's because you're of the devil. 
1 John 3 says that. But I'll tell you this much, it sure makes the journey much more enjoyable to know I cannot have my birth certificate canceled. There were times I wish my father would disown me because he said, because you're my boy, I'm going to spank the daylights out of you because I love you. Dad, I'll take it by faith. I don't need any proof. No, let me show you that I love you. In Jesus' sweet, precious name. Because uh, in love, he disciplines his own. But he tells you, I'm never going to give up on you. It's called God's stubborn love. I call it God's bulldog love. We had a bulldog in my neighborhood when I lived in 49th and Cutty. It was a pigskin football. We, anytime we threw football, we played in gravel. You cannot leave the field. We played gravel, glass, German shepherds tied to trees. And if you caught a pass in that lane, you're going to lose a leg because of the dog. Uh, but what, we have this one bulldog. You dare not ever drop that ball. <gasps> Many of football went by the way. Just bite it just like that. It's gone. God's got a bulldog love about his kids. He paid too much to make you his own to ever lose you. And if you were a responsive congregation, you said, hallelujah, where's my handkerchief? And let me say, thank you, Jesus. I shouldn't have to pull it out of you. What's wrong with your responder? This is magnificent. And here's something that's a shocker. God loves you. He won't let that love be separated. Here's the thing that I think is the shocker. Have you ever asked yourself, does God like me? You don't like yourself at times. And nobody in your world likes you at times. In the frame of mind, does God like his children? Love them, all right, but to like them? Does a mother love a dirty diaper? Does she like it? But does she say, that's the price it will cost me to love a child to maturity? God said, I signed up to clean up all your messes. I signed up to clean your diapers, to stay up with you when you got colic, when you got fever. I'm the stay up all night God. I knew all I'd get involved in when I got involved with you, and you're in my family care, special care, the apple of my eye. I've chosen you to be a unique people. You never did deserve this love, and you would never undeserve it because I chose to love you anyway. This is the unconditional love of God. The unconditional love of God. It's the only hope for us sinners because we know how to not merit it. Listen to what he says. I think you need this in the midst. If you've got heaven made, why is life so tough? 
I mean, wouldn't it be nice if God just saved us and killed us all? We just there'd be no temptation. There'd be you know no bills, uh, no domestic quarreling. Just man, Jesus, I love you. Boom, heart attack. I had an aunt that died in church, Locust Grove, Oklahoma. Little Pentecostal woman raised her hands. I love you, Jesus, and then boom, had a heart attack right in church, died. I called my cousin, her daughter, Elaine. I live about 40 miles out of Tulsa. I said, Elaine, what happened to Auntie? He said, well, Jesus did a drive-by. <laughs> Whoa, did a drive-by. Those Okies are up to date. Uh, look at what he says here. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. In this context, he's really applying it to family, family of believers. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Is that beautiful? If God has done the hardest part, crucified his son, if he would go that far with you, what makes you think he will, he will not go all the way? He will spare nothing to complete what he's begun in you. You've come under the special loving care of God, and I'm going to get you from earth to glory. I'm going to change your character along the way. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to enable you. Uh, I'm going, but if you didn't spare the son, which was the hardest part to do, you can count on the fact he's going to do everything else to get you there without condemnation, without Satan winning the case. I'm not letting anything separate any of my kids from my love. That's what he's saying in Romans 8. Yeah, that is hallelujah. Yeah. In any church that can't say hallelujah on that, I doubt you're saved. I know you're not walking in the Spirit because a heart even wants to burst. Glory be to God. Only God can have that kind of love. We keep hoping every wedding. I hope it lasts. I hope it lasts. I've been to some of the most extravagant wet weddings in which the marriage lasted six months. And I think all this waste, all this preparation, everything but a lasting love. It's a big waste to have weddings when you already know you're not going to stay together. Who makes you stay together? What makes you stay together? In human relationships, everything's tentative, especially in this culture. Who's old-fastened enough to say, no matter, I'll be there with you, baby. When you're pregnant, I won't be looking up a young thing. I'll be with you when you're sick, when the years come. In our early marriage, we had a little spat in which the word divorce was used. And in that time, I just got a hold of myself and my dear wife. We said, we never use this word. It's not an option for us. It's not an option. It's not an option. 
that is never the answer. It's never the biblical answer. We're committed. We're committed to the end. And God told Israel, when I make a covenant, I keep it. You divorce me, Israel. I didn't divorce you. He says some other things you get in this family. Look at Romans 8, 26. Why I love the book of Romans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our good times. Thank you. You got that. Thank you. Helps us in our weakness. And that word weakness means no strength moment. No strength. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. How do you like the fact that from the moment you receive Christ as your Savior, Jesus put you on his prayer list? And according to Hebrews 7, 25, he makes intercession for the saints to the uttermost. That is to the point of completion. Did you know Jesus prays for you constantly? Jesus. I didn't say me. I'd be lying to you. And you don't pray for me constantly, except when I'm preaching. Lord, have him go short. <laughs> Can you imagine that Jesus put you on his prayer list? And he started praying for you. And matter of fact, hear me, hear me well. He was praying for you 2,000 years ago because he said, I've got other sheep yet to be brought into the fold. And all the way back there, he knew he's going to save you. You can't comprehend that because you're not omniscient. And you've got a small God, a big God. The God of the Bible said, I knew way back. See, here's the thing about the cross you need to know. There's one group that only make it provisional. He provided a payment for all the sins of the world. Okay. But there's other verses like Titus 2, 11 through 14. He purchased a people at the cross. He redeemed us. And that word redeemed, he took you out of the marketplace and made you his own. Jesus not only made a provision, he made a purchase, and he purchased his own. My sheep, I will lay my life down for. My church, I will lay my life down for. I will make you a generation of priests that praise me. The love of God, the love of God. Oh, how deep. Oh, how great. I think of what he said in John. I'll conclude with this. That when he's with these men who are faltering, the Spirit did not indwell people up to the time of Christ. You read through the Old Testament, once in a while the Spirit would come upon someone. It would even come upon a, a Samson, a philanderer, man that met no Spirit-filled qualification. God would just sovereignly come on him and leave him at will. That's why David was scared when he sinned because he saw the Spirit depart from Saul. And an evil spirit took over. And David scared after he sinned with Bathsheba. He said, take not your Holy Spirit from me. I don't want to become a Saul. 
I don't want to be tormented by these evil spirits. But they didn't, as a whole, indwell Old Testament saints. He filled them, came upon them back and forth. But in John 14, Jesus on the brink, he's going into his upper room discourse. He finishes that. He gets past the Kidron Valley. He gets past the Garden of Gethsemane, chapter 18. He goes before Pilate. He said, let me tell you men this. I'm going away, and you're sad. I don't want your hearts to be broken. I won't be just gone. I'll be preparing a place for you, and this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to send you, the old King James would say, I'm going to send you a paraclete, not a parakeet but a paraclete. Paraclete. And paraclete is beautiful. It's made of two Greek words, para, alongside of kaleo, to call. What does it mean? It's used of the word advocate in 1 John 2. It's used of the word encouragement, the word for comfort. He said, I am going to send as my love gift to you Am I going to the cross? I'm going to send a love gift to you that will be an encouraging helper that he's been alongside of you. Be chapter 14, verse 16, 17. But he shall be in you. He's only been alongside of you up to now. But he's never been in you. I'm going to put him in you. And he will be there constantly. And two things will always be characterized of his ministry. He will encourage you, and he will help you, and he will comfort you. You will not be without comfort in the world. I will not leave you as orphans. And he says it. You ever feel lonely in this world? You have ever right to. This world is a wilderness for the pilgrim child of God. It is not our home. They don't have our politics. They don't have our view of God, eternity, morals, the Bible, Jesus. And so pilgrims in all these lands we've been in for 2,000 years, hunted like dogs at times, persecuted, hiding in caves, hiding in animal skins. If you read Hebrews 11, it hasn't always been easy for God's church. It has suffered immensely. How can you keep going? Some of you are discouraged this morning. I don't know if I can keep going. Some of you have lost loved ones. You've been widowed. You've lost health. You've lost energy. A good friend of mine today said, I asked how his health doing. Always been as strong as a horse. Having health problems. He said, I guess I'm getting older. I said, yeah, you are. And you can't do it like you used to. And all of a sudden you say, I'm going to be put in a senior's home, and I don't even know if my kids will come to see me. Many a family has loved ones that don't show up when you're sick. God said, I will put my spirit in my children. And whatever child of God here has that you're not aware of, maybe, the Spirit of God lives in you, intercedes for you, is comforting you. I never forget when I think of this. I was, 
a young man in my 20s, and I was working at a Bible college, and there's lots of challenges, lots of, um, lots of issues, and I was worrying myself sick, and um, besides, they didn't pay me, there are other concerns. My wife went to work for Lawrence Radiation Lab to feed us. So I donated my, they paid me $4,000 a year if they could for 70 hours a week. Christian education stays poor, at least then. I, I was trying to go to sleep that night. I could not go to sleep. I was worried about this issue, that issue, maybe money, faculty problems, student discipline problems, oh, a lot of stuff. I was only in my 20s. But I remember singing myself to sleep. Poor Carolyn, she had to lay in the bed with me while I sang. She had to go to work the next morning. And I sang myself to sleep singing, love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help. Love. I, I sang it. I wept. I sang it. And I wept, I sang, until in exhaustion I faded off to sleep. The next morning you would think the millennial reign of Christ had begun. I woke up with so much peace. So much peace. It's like everything was solved in the middle of the night. And I tried to figure out, what was that? It's like God in his word said, boy, my son was praying for you all night. My spirit was praying for you all night. What did you think? They get their prayer requests answered. I'm giving you divine comfort. I'm giving you divine peace. Have you ever been there? In the midnight hour, when there seemed to be no help, my spirit will comfort you and remind you on your worst day, I'm a child of the king, and the worst you can do is kill me. Then I'll see him face to face. God loves you. God likes you. Rejoice in it. On your worst day and your best day, you'll never top this, that the God of all creation loves you, loves you. 